so you need to leverage this relationship between cognition and emotion until you find this magic ratio mm -hmm. that, that works in your specific course. Welcome to Teach, Talk, Listen, Learn, a podcast featuring conversations all about teaching and learning from the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. I'm Bob Dignan, and in every episode, I'll be joined by colleagues, faculty, and instructors from across our campus to talk teaching. And that's exactly what we did with our guests. Today we have... Um, hello, I'm Leon Liebenberg. I'm a teaching associate professor with the Department of Mechanical Science and Engineering. And... Hello everyone, my name is Ava Wolf from the Center for Innovation in Teaching and Learning. Leon shares some insights into the student population on our campus and how his core pedagogy of mini-projects and self-regulated learning is unleashing well-rounded engineers into our world, ready to tackle the biggest challenges of our times. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Well, uh, Leon and I actually met uh, it, it was a kind of a confluence of things in my recollection. Robert told me, my son Robert told me, I have the greatest teacher this semester. I, he's like the best teacher I've ever had. His name is Leon Liebenberg. And at around that same time, the Playful by Design uh, symposium happened in the spring. And lo and behold, I met face-to-face Leon Liebenberg, who I went to one of his sessions to hear him talk about his teaching. So, um, so that was a kind of a confluence of things that came together. That's how I remember it, Leon. I, I'm not sure about you. No, that's exactly how I remember it as well, Ava. <clears throat> it's, it's amazing how things work out. It's really a confidence here. If you're ready for things to happen, they really do happen. Yeah, <laughs> and I was okay. ready at that stage to meet people from the Center for Innovation, Teaching and Learning. Mm -hmm. I hadn't reached out to anyone. and. Yeah, I, I met you, and what a blessing that was. And we got you connected very quickly with lots of folks uh, with, with uh, CITL, and it's been a glorious relationship since. But I wonder if you can start out by telling us a little bit more about what you mean when you talk about your interest in self-regulated or student-directed, self-directed learning. Yeah. Ava, when I arrived on campus four years ago, <clears throat> the first thing that struck me is how busy everyone was. If students change classes, they on the cell phone, very busy texting, and none of them were really very happy. I didn't hear students laughing and you know, jokingly doing things. Everyone was very serious and hmm. everyone was very busy. That's my first impression of the University of Illinois four years ago. Was it quite different from other places you had taught, Leon? It was. It was definitely a huge difference. You know, I just come at that stage from Switzerland, which is known for its very orthodox style of education and, and very... Um, yeah, rigorous. Dramatic and rigorous and everything by the clock. Um, but the students were so much easier to engage and they would do fun things during class and there was always a chatter during class. It's a different kind of an environment, a different kind of a buzz on this campus. That's very And in South Africa, where I'm from, you know, it, it was also different. But the, the one thing that, that I believe about higher education is that we really have this huge responsibility to give our students the opportunity to learn techniques, strategies to deal with accelerating change, mm -hmm. with increasing complexity, and, and with inevitable uncertainty that we're all dealing with nowadays. 
you know, it's not just COVID-19, it's not just climate change, it's a mm -hmm. bunch of other things. Mm -hmm. Life has become very complex. There's a huge responsibility on us as instructors, as educationalists, to try and help our students who are dealing with this added stress of learning online. Because what this brings about is we, we're expecting our students to take responsibility. They must take responsibility for their learning. They must initiate the bulk of their online learning. And that's a huge stressor. But that demands self-regulation. But, mm -hmm. but self-regulation re skills are not inherent. Um, they need to be fostered. Mm -hmm. I, think yeah, I, was, I was just going to say, it's not uh, what I'm picturing, which is uh, my one and a half year old and all of the parallel play that happens when he's around other kids his age, right? It's, it's not a bunch of students running around in 16 weeks and then they just maybe they end up with something, maybe they don't. They're, uh, you're talking about techniques and skills that you're teaching as like a meta arc throughout your, your course or your courses. So you're, you're getting things done that you need to in each course, but there's, there's, a, there's a through line that involves like guiding them along this journey of self-regulation, right? Yeah, absolutely. Now, Bob, we, you know, we have advisors or students have advisors in each department. I've got 20 students that I advise. For 20 minutes, I meet with them for one week in the semester. And in that semester then, you know, Every now and again, they reach out to me by email. But the fundamental questions that the students have are, are so deep-seated. They, they literally, sh it's, they're shouting out for help. Mm -hmm. They need someone to chat with. Mm -hmm. They really need someone to help them boost their confidence. And, and they don't get this necessarily from their friends. Mm -hmm. um, they don't necessarily get that from the instructors. Life has become very busy. Mm -hmm. And I believe parents maybe don't have as much time as they may be used to to, to, to help their teenagers. Um, they're simply not present. Many teenagers simply go off to college and their parents are back at home. So uh, I think what you're describing is, is a, a very accurate and very, you know, an emotionally powerful picture of students who may be struggling and in need of guidance. So I think mm -hmm. it's really terrific that you've picked up on this. And uh, I, I'm just really interested to hear how you're developing some teaching strategies are around addressing this need that students mm -hmm. have presenting. That's, that's a task that I set myself. <laughs> How the heck do you do this now? How do you effectively engage the students, but in a manner that they can take charge of their own learning? Mm -hmm. So for me, if you look at self-regulation and self-regulation skills, the first thing is the students must take initiative for their learning, for achieving their goals. Mm -hmm. This doesn't mean that the instructor is not involved. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that the students are left all by themselves. Certainly not. But initiative, student initiative, is like the first pillar of, of self-regulated learning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and the second thing that goes along with that is the students need a sense of self-efficacy. Once they have that, they can become really effective self-regulated learners. But it also means that students must be very comfortable with critical thinking, with reasoning, with cognitive thinking. And they must be able to reflect on their learning. So they must be able to take initiative. They must be able to you know, work in a self-efficacious manner. Mm -hmm. uh, they must be comfortable with critical thinking. They must be able to reflect on their learning. But for me, Ava, another crucial component 
is you need imagination. You need some emotion, uh, intuition. And this is what I call magic. That's the magic, yeah. Mm. But if you have too much imagination and too little cognition, that's going to make up for you know inappropriate learning, especially in my field, which is engineering. So you need to leverage this relationship between cognition and emotion until you find this magic ratio mm -hmm. that, that works in your specific course. I, I don't think you're listing these as prerequisites, like... Mm -hmm. You, sh you should only sign up for my course if you can engage in self-reflection, if you have self-efficacy, self if you already have imagination. You've dealt with students that have a variety of combinations of these skills, and, and there are, some are less developed and some are more. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to grow all of those skills across the, the duration of time you have with them. So what, what are you doing in order to meet somebody where they are and move them along this track? Absolutely. The first thing I do is, in all my courses, I get students to work in teams. Not in all their work, but in most of their assignments, I assign them to teams. And we know students love working on teams. Well, not all of them. <laughs> and, that's, and part of the, that's part of the design, it sounds like. Absolutely. And um, I love taking students out of their comfort zone because that's really when imaginative thinking starts happening. But, but let me just give you some background. Um, in the first two weeks of class, I give students some hints about effective teamwork. I don't just tell them, you're in this team, here's the problem, Have go fun. make it work. Yeah. I give them some advice. It's written in, you know, it's a four-page document about typical problems that students might encounter with yeah. overbearing students or students who are you know, constantly surfing on, on the work that others do, et cetera, et cetera, the free riders. And how do you cope with those situations or with those students? Because I don't change students from their teams. Once they've been assigned to a team, they remain in those teams till the end of the semester. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to do is to simulate how things work in the real world. Mm -hmm. You can't just, you know, be assigned to a team and everyone magically has the same personality profile that you have and have the same dreams and aspirations or cultural background or gender preference that you do, that's not how things work in the real world. So the teamwork that I give to students, I try and simulate a real world engineering, at least environment. The students work in mixed teams that do not get to choose their teammates mm -hmm. and they must get comfortable with that. They must learn to respect each other. So in the first lecture, I give students a questionnaire where they have to indicate um, whether they want to assign themselves to teams or whether I can place them in teams. And I do so in a random manner. After students have been formed in teams, I then do the next you know, little bit of what I believe is the big game changer in my courses. And that has to do with mini projects. I give students a series of five to six mini projects. And each of these mini projects is a project of limited extent, as the word you know, alludes to, mini. But I take a core component of the curriculum and I craft that into a small project. That project would have an analytical component or components, mm -hmm. an open-ended design component. But then I also ask students to reflect on their learning and not just on their learning, I ask students to make connections. If students, you know, in thermodynamics, analyze 
a nuclear power station. They do that very well. Our students are cognitively excellent. But instead of just asking them how to do things, I also ask them, why do we do these things that we do it? So that's the why reflection do we need, part. That's the reflection part. Why do we need nuclear power plants? What would happen if, you know, from a safety issue, from a security issue regarding nuclear power? Mm-hmm. What so are the pros? What are the cons? Broadening their perspectives. Yeah. Broadening their perspectives, Ava, but also trying to connect that with social goals, sure. economic goals, environmental goals, and, and what's happening on the governance side, you know, with policies, with politics. Mm-hmm. They, these things are all interconnected in the modern world. And students love to talk about these things. They really do. So in these mini projects, I ask well-defined analytical questions, ill-defined open-ended design questions, and then the reflective questions, which for me is the power of these mini projects. They fiendishly difficult to grade because the answers are open-ended, but I provide the students with a detailed grading key a grading rubric beforehand, they know how they're going to be assessed. And then I ask students to peer evaluate one another's projects. Initially, they're quite uncomfortable with that, but they very quickly get the hang of it. So the students first do a series of five to six mini projects, multidisciplinary projects. After the students have done their peer grading, the teaching assistants and I go through the peer grading just to make sure that the students were not too difficult um, or too easy on one another. We, go, we give bonus points you know, for students that did really good grading, superior grading, and we penalize students who were too difficult or you know, too easy on one another. But the important thing is for students to see how their peers had answered exactly the same question in a totally different manner. Sure. They learn from each other. Hmm. They see how to see things from different you know, viewpoints, different perspectives. And Bob, Ava, it's incredible to see how the students' proficiency increase from project one to project two to project six. And again, these are self-directed projects. I give them extremely detailed projects, tips, hints, but then I leave it up to students, how they interpret the, the projects that's totally up to themselves. And also, Bob, how they communicate their answers. They can communicate the solutions to me in a straightforward document, a, a boring PDF document with bullet points, or they can choose to, to create a short graphic novel, a five-page graphic novel. They can create an augmented reality app, a 360-degree virtual you know, video tour, an interactive infographic. They can even produce a low-fidelity prototype using material found around their their homes or around their apartments. They can create a podcast. Mm -hmm. A very popular medium for students to communicate the ideas with me is them producing electronic portfolios, e-portfolios. And students actually carry on doing this after they've completed my course by also populating their e-portfolio with evidence of their proficiencies from their other courses. And after conclusion of their studies, They've now built up this beautiful portfolio, which they can include in their job applications. So self-guided mini projects or guided mini projects form a core component of my way of teaching, of my pedagogy. 
when we go back, we sort of circle back to, to where you started about how everybody seems so busy and how do we move people away from being so connected into their own little worlds that they're unable to open up and, and connect to others and be more engaged. And, and that the whole idea of reimagining engagement, I think, is really what you're capturing here. And your students are going, are learning not only the concepts and things that are uh, particular to the course curriculum, but they're learning a whole host of other kinds of behaviors that are, um, you know, not only engaging them in the practice, but building upon their strengths and abilities. And I, I just, I, I don't know how often people are aware of how how this process unfolds over the semester. So you really are uh, um, calling attention to particular instances and details where you can see the students blossoming. Now, Ava, thanks a lot for, for saying that. So, um, Bob, Ava, you, you asked me to, to speak about this magic. So the magic comes out for me if I can see evidence that students are taking charge of their learning. I can see the way that they that they respond with their mini projects, the level of proficiency improving with every assignment. I get different types of questions as the semester progresses. It starts with very basic questions. It becomes really deep, insightful, and incisive questions or critique that I get towards the end of the semester. It's extremely gratifying to me as an instructor to see this happening. So do I see the magic? Yes. Can I give you, you know, qualitative evidence of that happening? Well, to a certain extent, yes, and I'll, I'll tell you now about that, but there's certain other things that also happen. Some students have taken the comics that they started developing during the courses, and they actually wrote fully-fledged comics, 20-page comics, which one of the students now wants to try and publish, and I know she will. Another student in my thermodynamics course from spring 2019 took it upon himself to take his mini project about a small type of an engine called a Stirling engine, which works off the sun's energy, the heat, not the photovoltaic energy, but the heat energy from the sun. It concentrates the solar rays, the solar rays on this engine, and it makes this engine turn, which you can then connect with an alternator to produce electricity. Now, these things are quite common, but what this student has done and you won't find things like this on the internet, is he decided to make this a kit, which he wants to sell online. But the kit is 3D printable. Now, this is not easy, because mm. if you're focusing the sun's rays, really hard, you, know, yeah. you can melt certain things. You can melt steel. Yeah. So not everything can be 3D printed. He's been going at it now for two years. I believe he's very close to, to the solution. He's turned this into an entrepreneurial venture. You know, um, I'm, it's comics. It's students coming to me a year after a course and saying, gee, you know, they've had this grand idea. What if blah, blah, blah. It's what I hear in emails, how students respond to me well after a course. If I'm approached in the hallways, students coming to me with ideas or just saying hi and they remember me and the stuff that they did in the course and they really appreciate that. But Bob and Ava, there's something else. Last semester, I received two emails, one from John Deere and one from Caterpillar. John Deere, I got it from a team leader in engineering. 
And at Caterpillar, I forget the position that, that this person holds, but she was um, in senior management. And they both are very congratulatory about the fact that the students who are, were in my class, who are now working at John Deere or at Caterpillar, had been working on these mini projects and where they were tasked with solving really tough problems, but with one another, getting to grade each other's work. And I also ask students to do independent research. They've got to reach out to professionals out there, either by email, telephone, whatever, to ask for advice. And the skills which the students learned during these mini projects stood them in really good stead when they arrived at Caterpillar and John Deere. That's just mm. wonderful. Are you, yeah. as, are, are you as enthusiastic about all of these ideas, having had some years implementing them here as you were when you got here? I mean... Bob, even more so. I'm, I'm more motivated than before because I've seen, I've seen how these techniques better engage the students, how students get immersed in their learning, how they become immersed, how, how they enjoy this. So in a nutshell, I think it's for me about how can we as educationalists better merge cognitive thinking with emotional thinking? How can we get our students to do more imaginative things or in a more imaginative manner. How can we get students to engage with sustainability in a positive manner without intimidating them? And if it's playful, if there's fun involved, if it's gamified, if students can work together and if they feel safe in the environment in that environment whilst working together, they're going to help reimagine the future. They're going to help us reimagine how we should teach they will help us reimagine how they would like to be taught. I try and listen to my students. Um, I can't be empathetic if I don't have an imagination. If I can't place myself in the shoes of my students, nothing's going to change. So what I expect of my students to be imaginative, I also expect of myself. I need to be more empathetic I try and listen as much as I can to what my students are saying and I implement their suggestions and I get these comments from my students every semester. Thank you for listening to our suggestions. So I think takeaway message is we should all just please try and help merge cognitive thinking or help our students to merge cognitive thinking with more imaginative thinking. It's going to be to the benefit of their learning it's going to be to, this, to the university's advantage. If we can integrate the head with the heart with the hand from the academic perspective, then I think we would have reached a really laudable goal. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on and spending time uh, talking about these uh, concepts and how you're applying them in your, in your courses. Bob, it's been an absolute privilege. Thank you very much for your time and for Ava's. It was, a, it was great chatting with you. And thanks for listening. Uh, Leon has several web resources, articles, and even more nicely organized on his faculty webpage, which we linked in the description. So feel free to get in touch with Leon about any and all of the topics we covered, or also consider emailing the show, ttll at illinois.edu. And we'd love to hear what methods you've found success with implementing for project-based learning in your curriculum. 
This podcast was produced by the Center for Innovation and Teaching and Learning at the University of Illinois. Episodes can be found on our website, citl.illinois.edu, and on major podcast platforms. We hope you'll find us there and join the conversation.